peekaboo. Woof. <laughs> Where'd you come from? I never know what I'm going to say when I start this. <laughs> me neither. It's always a surprise. Something just comes out of me. and I'm glad. Cause I just have to go with it. My default would be like, hi. It's <laughs> silent. Yeah, I just feel like, so, what you, what you been up to? How's it going? How's it going, guys? Yeah, like, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I, I still rarely know what to say, but that's okay. I know. We're podcasters. We're allowed to not know what we're doing. What the hell is happening. Yeah. Yeah. We're, like, two weeks away from our one-year anniversary. Yeah, so we actually should podcast. know what the fuck we're doing by now. Yeah, we should. Whoops. Whatever. You know what? I I am going to edit out more background noise, and that's my one year anniversary gift to me. Lent resolution oh, thing. Oh, all right, okay. I mean, I mean it can be a gift to you fine. too. I mean, sure, sure. Why not? You know what? Happy. I don't know. August. Okay, happy <laughs> Andrea. August. Thank you. Here's your August. I was waiting again. for someone to say happy August to me. Right? Sometimes August just occurs and it's like no one even notices right? how you feel about that. Yeah. yeah. Like someone should say something. Yeah. So it's happy an August. Month. I guess. If it weren't there, the year would be awkwardly divided into two chunks. There'd be a bunch of people who would have to be retconned because, like, if they were born that year. Oh no, my cats. <gasps> Oh, yeah, My it's cats. your cat's birthday this month. Yeah, no, we can't cancel August. It is important. It is, yeah. My cats. Also, like, several of my closest friends. But, I mean, cats, too. The cats are the most that- important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, there are a lot of people that I want to still exist, despite them being Virgos. Um, yeah, I yeah. don't know anything about those Our dad signs was one. or any signs at all whatsoever. Our dad was a Virgo. Yeah, are they bad? Uh, <laughs> they exist. I mean, okay. they're okay. So, Andrea, what's your fear? Um. What you afraid of? Oh, come on, Andrea. Nothing. You can do this. I'm not afraid of anything. I feel like that's not true. I'm too true. brave. Uh-huh. Very, very brave, Andrea. Yeah, but you need the presence of fear in order to have bravery. That's Otherwise, true. Otherwise, you're just um, kind of like empty shell. Okay, I'm an empty shell. Yeah, you probably like that. <laughs> I know, I was just like, you have to be more motivated to give me a fear. All right, I guess I'll start, because uh, my therapist gave me one today. Uh, okay. Like, she didn't give me a, a fear. She, She's like, here's something to be afraid of. <laughs> no, she, like, figured out what I was kind of afraid of, like, with me. Mm-hmm. Um, So she, like, I have trouble, like, fully experiencing positive emotions, because, like, I kind of almost feel like it's indecent. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have the right to. Yeah. So I am, to write out this shame list as to like why like what exactly i've done to like causes like intense like guilt and shame and like the fear of like expressing and fully feeling positive emotions like why i feel like i don't deserve them yeah and that's why i'm subconsciously blocking them Mm -hmm. um and i guess like what i'm afraid of is people reacting badly like if i experience say something like uh Pride. Like, yesterday I was proud of myself for getting that resume in. Mm-hmm. But there's always that part of me that's just, like, afraid to fully express that because I'm kind of just like, uh, what if they think I'm being, like, egotistical, like, if I'm oh. around someone? Or what if, like, this is, like, not modest enough? Like, oh. is it impolite for me to feel joy too much? No. Yeah, I know. Like, that's, a, that's a weird fear. You deserve to feel joy. And you feel proud of yourself when we beat bosses in Bloodborne, right? Yes, but yeah. I also, when I talk to other people about in conversation, I say we. I very much attribute it only to you. <laughs> oh, I don't I'm even like, oh, do yeah, anything, really. It. I just uh, strategize. 
Well, you shout at me to heal, and that does help. Yeah. <laughs> I really do need that. That's how we play video games together, everybody. We play single-player video games, and I sit with a walkthrough and order Ren what to do. Yeah, it's very helpful. It's my strength. It's being bossy. Yeah. <laughs> she loves it. <laughs> she calls herself the walkthrough queen. I am the walkthrough queen. Nobody walks through quite like Nobody Andrea. interprets walkthroughs the way I do. <laughs> so I feel like that could be put to the Gaston theme song. Yeah. Nobody interprets walkthroughs like, like Andrea. Andrea. Oh, no. Bosses run around like Andrea. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be hard. <laughs> We'd have to figure out the syllables, but uh, yeah. we could do it. But yeah, no, like, I like it. I I approve. A lot of people listening are, like, probably just, like, they use walkthroughs. But you know what? Fake we need, gamers. We want to get through the game, and we want to, like, get do the storyline, too. Yeah. And just wandering around, dying over and over, trying to figure something out is not the part of games that interests me. No, and it's not, like, if I were to do it that way with a game like Bloodborne, I would do it oh by my myself. God. And we would do it, it would take so goddamn long. And it yeah, would. you would have to do it by yourself because the other one person's person. going to be like, well, let's try going there. And the other one's going to be like, well, let's try going over here. And well, and you're it's just going to argue the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> you're going to argue the whole time. And the other person, like, because you are undoubtedly going to die a million fucking times over that way, mm-hmm. the other person who's not playing is going to be so fucking bored. Yeah. Like, so it's not like we can't figure shit out, but we want to, like, not be spending a year playing the same – and we're already spending a year playing the same game. Yeah, when did we start it? been, like, it? six months or something, and like we are eight. on page three of 14 in the walkthrough. <laughs> so it would be decades before we finished it if we did not use a walkthrough. Yeah. It might be decades anyway. Yeah. So just well. – so there, okay? So shut up. <laughs> we just assumed they were judging before they actually were. There were plenty of people out there who were like, oh, thank goodness, it's okay for me to use a walkthrough because yeah. other people do it too. And they're like, why is she yelling at me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got one up right now. <laughs> they just like pause at their game. They're like, hey, <laughs> why? <laughs> Don't raise your voice I at me. I love walkthroughs. I like getting the best outcome and I like getting the storyline you know, yeah, and the before decades pass, like well, I want to yeah. know the ending while I'm still in my 30s. <laughs> so, yes. I would like to not spend uh, my 20s on this game either. Yeah, can you I'm... imagine? Like, you're just like, for my 20s, I played Bloodborne that whole decade. Yep, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's Rest in peace, my 20s. I did. Goodbye, <laughs> 20s. <laughs> Hello, they 30s. They just sail away. I'm just, like, still playing Bloodborne. It's, like, the 500,000th time I've died. (laughs) The You Died screen comes up, and it's, like, my 50th birthday, and there's, like, a lonely cupcake with one candle (laughs) on, like, the table as I'm still playing Bloodborne with with a tremble. And I'm behind the walkthrough. Yeah, like, we're both, like, we both have palsy just from, like, playing Bloodborne (laughs) for hours. Yeah. Yeah, no, that'd be bad. Uh, Actually, okay, so it is a lot of work interpreting walkthroughs. It is, actually. Is that um, your fear? Not nobody is very good. Yeah, exactly. So that's my fear. Um, nobody is a very good writer who does these walkthroughs. So <laughs> um, interpretation. And then also strategizing. Because, like, the walkthrough is not always right about, like, hey, this is the best way to kill a boss, blah, 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 blah Or this is the best way to do this. Sometimes we just have to use logic because the walkthrough is no help with that. Yeah, no. It's not. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, we had to logic our way through Dark Beast Pearl a million times. I finally mm-hmm. murdered him. Yeah, like, because it doesn't give, like, really helpful tips. Like, no. And we, yeah. No. I figured out that our axe can extend. It took us that long Based to figure it out. Based on a load screen, because it was like, 
transformation. I'm like, what transformation? The axe can tra- whatever. Okay. Most of them are trick <laughs> weapons. Most of the weapons there do transform, or they're a trick weapon. The one I, I didn't one know of the two. that. Like um, I honestly thought the axe was not a trick weapon. Me neither. I thought it just did what it did, but they all transform. The, yeah. Pretty much all the weapons do something else. I wonder what the other ones that we have do. Anyway, well, I mean, Cain turns into like a whip, but it takes like well, like two but we know that out of a hundred million. I know. Health, so yeah, it's <laughs> like yeah. Uh, okay, so that, those are our fears, everybody. Yeah, you're welcome for the little bit of like bloodborne tidbits. Hopefully, someone out there knows what we're talking about. It isn't is interested. I yeah. mean. It is interesting. There's got to be someone out there. Who it's not really an underground game. Like, yeah, no, it's yeah. not. Um, <laughs> it's not a big secret. Yeah. It's a terribly kept secret. Sometimes I feel weird when I talk to people about, like, Legend of Zelda because everyone knows about it and almost everyone has played it. My boyfriend has not. And I'm just like, <laughs> I haven't fuck? played it either. Like, Yeah, I know you have it. I have no one to talk to at the about Zelda. <laughs> I will try it if you buy it for me for the PS4. Okay. Or well, PS3. you could just borrow my my Switch because you'll like it. Okay. It's open world. You'll be into it. All right. But yeah, I like so, open world stuff. I yes. Guess. All the right. The world is open to you, Andrea. I like it that. Yes. Everything yeah. <laughs> should be open for me. Everything. Yeah. So <laughs> we have something big. Yeah, and to special. share with you, big and special, just like last time. Um, <laughs> this is another Elizabeth, I believe. Oh yeah. Yeah, because last it episode. Elizabeths. Okay. Well, the funny thing about uh, homicidal maniacs. Yeah, and there's actually a weird um, fact about uh, this particular Elizabeth, non-Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Lizzie Borden, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty-one. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard of this because she was like, "That's not messy enough." Yeah, it's got to be forty-one. At least 41. Will be better. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try it again. Come here, Daddy. Mom still looked a little alive. I don't know. <laughs> I better do it one more time just to be sure. Yeah, and the funny thing is it's not... She didn't use an axe. So here's how this goes. All right. Oh. Yeah, so okay. Lizzie Andrew Borden. Yes, her middle name was Andrew. And she actually wasn't That's an the Elizabeth. the beginning of the end. Yeah, oh, she was actually just named Lizzie? Yeah, she said... Oh. Like, people thought she was Elizabeth, but she said that she had actually been christened as Lizzie. Oh, okay. Weird. Okay. But, I mean, they also named her Andrew, so. Lizzie Andrew. <laughs> yeah. And at least pick a cool name. Yeah. Yeah, but it was her dad's name. So, she was born July 19th, uh, 1890 in Fall River, Massachusetts. It says 1860 on your paper. Did I say 1890? Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> 1860, which is significantly different, I'm sure. I wasn't there. Um, in Fall River, Massachusetts, to Sarah Anthony, whose maiden name was Morse, so Sarah Morse, who lived from September 19th, 1823, to March 26th, 1863, and Andrew Jackson Borden, who was, uh, born September 22nd, 1822, and died August 4th, 1892, in a, in a shitty way. Um, through her father, Lizzie was of English and Welsh descent. And Lizzie's uh, father, Andrew, had also grown up in very modest surroundings. And he's, like, struggled financially as a young man, despite mm-hmm. being, like... Like, <clears throat> even though he was the descendant of, like, wealthy and influential local residents, they okay. just had money issues. But he eventually did prosper in the manufacture and sale of furniture and caskets. Perfect. Promising. I wonder if he was buried in one of his own. I don't actually know. Hmm. That'd be gloomy. I would think gloomy. I would make my own casket if I were a casket maker. If you're a casket maker. Like, I'd be like, I 
might want need one soon, and I want it to be comfortable. Yeah, I want it to be a, the best casket you ever did, d- see. did see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and how. But, like, yeah, so he did eventually, like, succeed, right? And he also was, like, a successful property developer. I think he had, like, textile mills. At the time of his death, his estate was valued at 300k for the time, which is equivalent to approximately like 8,370,000 these days. So he's a millionaire basically, Jeez. like worth a lot. Yeah. But despite being this fucking rich, he was known for being frugal. Like he was they really all are. Yeah, that's yeah. why they're rich because they have a wealth hoarding problem. You know, some yeah. people hoard cats, these yeah. people hoard money. Thanks Scrooge could McDuck. Start holding, hoarding cats. I know. They're I'm holding them too. Holding them, too. I mean, <laughs> they're not worth as much in the economy as money, but mm-hmm. they should be. I, uh, they are priceless. That's That makes sense, actually. Mm-hmm. I guess we had to create paper because people were just sick of trading cats. Yeah, it's they're like, I hard can't to carry them, them around in your pocket. It is. And when it comes time to trade the cat, you're just kind of like, nope, mine. No, I love it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So because he was so cheap, um, the Borden home lacked indoor plumbing and electricity, even though that was like a common thing for wealthy people at the time to have. Oh, okay. Um, Borden and her older sister, Emma Lenora Borden. So I don't know what they're naming people them days. I mean, it's better. I mean, Emma is okay. Mm -hmm. Lenora. I mean, it was probably common at the time. It was probably all the rage. Probably like a family name. Yeah, so she was born March 1st, 1851, and she died June 10th, 1927, and uh, they both had a religious upbringing and attended, like, the Central Congregational Church, right? And as a young woman, Lizzie was, like, really involved in church activities. She taught Sunday school to children of recent immigrants to the United States, and she was involved in Christian organizations, such as the, like, Christian Endeavor Society, where she served as, like, secretary treasurer. And she was also involved in, like, contemporary social movements. So she was kind of, like, an activist, religious helper lady. Mm-hmm. Um, movements such as the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which isn't catchy. And no. the Ladies' Fruit and Flower Mission, <laughs> which sounds kind of gross. It sounds yeah. like an underwear brand. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. So three years after the death of Lizzie Borden's biological mother, Sarah, Lizzie's father, Andrew, married um, this woman named Abby Durfee Gray. Durfee. These middle names, I tell ya. Born That's 1820, weird. right? Durfee. Abby Durfee Gray. Okay. That's a good name. Born 1828, died August 4th, 1892, because she was first whack. So Lizzie stated that she called her stepmother Mrs. Borden, and she demurred on whether or not they had a cordial relationship with each other. Like, she believed that Abby had married her father for his money, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Bridget Sullivan, nicknamed Maggie, the Borden's live-in maid, who was around 25, 26, she'd been there for a while, uh, who had immigrated to the U.S. from Ireland, testified that the sisters, Lizzie and Emma, rarely ate meals with their parents. And in May of 1892, Andrew killed multiple pigeons in his barn with a hatchet. So, because he believed that they were attracting the local children to hunt them, and I guess he didn't want kids on the property, so he oh, decided, to yeah. To kill all the birds, okay. Yeah, so, like, his solution to that was a pigeon massacre. That's logical. Great, right? Yeah, like, what? Alright, so, apparently, Lizzie had recently built a roost for them. Aw. Yeah, so it has been commonly recounted that she was upset over his killing of them. I would be. 
Yeah, like, the validity of that claim has been disputed, but, like, she built them a roost, so she obviously liked them, and yeah. she worked hard on this roost, because it's not that easy to build a, a full yeah. dang roost and for a bunch of pigeons. Yeah, pigeons. Yeah, like, they're... Sweet baby pigeon birds. They're cute, and, like, he could just tell the kids to go away. Yeah. Like... <laughs> or you could just shoot the kids. Andrea, don't shoot the kids. I mean, he could threaten, though. Like, back in those days, you'd just be like, mm, yeah, you'd get, just be off, like, my get property, off my property and cock point the gun. a gun at them. Yeah, that's what people do these days. They could, they probably did it then, too. Yeah. Yeah, Um, that was disputed, but I think it's an interesting reason because of something that comes up later. However, a family argument in July of 1892 prompted both the sisters to take extended, quote-unquote, like, vacations in New Bedford. But after returning to Fall River, like, only a week before the murders, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for, like, four days before she, like, finally returned to the family residence. Yeah. Um, so a lot of tension had been brewing within the family in the months before the murders, especially because of Andrew's gifts of real estate to various branches of Abby's, the stepmother's family, right? Mm-hmm. After Abby's sister received a house from him, Lizzie and Emma had demanded and received a rental property. Mm-hmm. Uh, the home, like, which was actually the home they had lived in until their biological mother died. Oh, okay. Yes, they demanded that from him, which they purchased from their father for $1. A few weeks before the murders, they sold the property back to their father for $5,000. Okay. Which is equivalent to 139000 these days. So. Yeah. So the night before the murders, um, a man named John Vinicum Morse, the brother of Lizzie's and Emma's deceased mother, um, visited and was invited to stay for a few days to discuss, like, business matters with Andrew, right? And some writers have reputedly speculated that their conversation, which was particularly about property transfer, may have aggravated the already, like, fucked up familial situation yeah. that everyone was mad about. So for several days before the murders, the entire household had also been, like, violently ill. And a family friend later speculated that the mutton, which had been left on the stove for use in meals over the course of several days, was the cause, but Abby had feared poisoning as Andrew was not exactly a likable man. He was not really liked in town. Yeah, they kept that mutton out there for several days, though. And that's gross, but they probably did that all the time back then. Yeah, like, I don't know. It might have made them sick, but who knows. So, the murders. Yes. Yeah. John. stuff. Yeah, the the stuff, at least. (laughs) Um, John Morse arrived in the evening of August 3rd and slept in the guest room that night. And after breakfast the next morning, at which Andrew, Abby, Lizzie, uh, Morse, and the Borden's maid, Maggie Sullivan, were present. So everyone was there. Um, Andrew and Morse went to the sitting room, where they chatted for nearly an hour. Morse left around 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen, as you do. And uh-huh. visit his niece in Fall River. Andrew's like, I identify with oxen purchasing. Yep. And yeah, so he went to go buy some oxen and visit his niece in Fall River, uh, planning to return to the Borden home for lunch at noon. And then Andrew left for his morning walk sometime after 9 a.m. So although cleaning the guest room was supposed to be one of Lizzie's and Emma's regular chores, the stepmother, Abby, went upstairs to it approximately, uh, like, around 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. around then to make the bed. According to the forensic investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head, which killed her, predictably. That seems like a lot. It wasn't 40. No. 
No. I know. I knew it wasn't 40. That would be a lot of effort, 40. Yeah. Yeah, that was what the rhyme that was made up about her was. Because she was infamous after this shit, Lizzie Borden. Yeah. Yep. So when Andrew uh, returned at approximately 10.30 a.m., his key couldn't open the door. So he knocked on it instead. And the maid went to unlock the door and it was jammed. So she verbally cursed. And she would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after this. She didn't see Lizzie, but stated that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs. And this was important, as, like, Abby was already dead by that time, and her body would have been visible to anyone on the home's second floor. So, like, laughing and seeing a dead body at the same time, a little weird. Yeah. So Lizzie later denied being upstairs and testified that her father had asked her where Abby was, and she had replied that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. Lizzie stated that she had then removed Andrew's boots and helped him into his slippers before he lay down on the sofa for a nap. And this was an anomaly that was, like, super contradicted by crime scene photos because it showed him still wearing his boots. Yeah. So she's just lying all over the place. Yeah. Be consistent with your lies. Yeah, can't you at least look at the body you created and double check whether or not your boot story is going to check out? Like, yeah. you could take the boots off if you're going to go that route. Exactly. Um, She then informed uh, Bridget, the maid Maggie, of a department store sale and permitted her to go. But Maggie felt unwell and reportedly went to take a nap in her bedroom instead. So this is all what Lizzie said mm-hmm. initially. So when Maggie testified, though, um, what she said was that she had been in her third floor room resting from cleaning windows when just before 11, 10 a.m., she heard Lizzie call from downstairs, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Okay. That's weird. It's already an odd way to do it, but okay. Andrew was, like, slumped on a couch in the downstairs sitting room. He'd been struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon that I assume was probably a hatchet. And one of his eyeballs had been split cleanly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when attacked. Uh, and his face was nearly unrecognizable. E. So this sounds like an anger thing for yeah. sure. His still bleeding wounds also suge- like suggested a very recent attack. So detectives estimated his death to have occurred at approximately like 11 a.m. That would have been like 10 minutes after Lizzie supposedly called to Maggie. Oh, okay. Right? Like... Or 10 minutes prior. So that would have been an odd time for her to discover all that. Yeah. So, people investigated this. And Lizzie, (laughs) because it's a little strange. Might warrant some searching. Yeah, a little suspicious. I don't think this was an accident. (laughs) They come into the house like, hmm. This is a sad hatchet accident. Something, (laughs) I can't believe that hatchet flew across the room, bounced off the walls. 17 different times, landed in these people's heads and faces, and kept bouncing around like a fucking boomerang. I hate it when hatchets do that. Hatchets are just, they're dangerous. Like, the detective saying this is partner is like, you always get these cases, don't you, Bill? (laughs) (laughs) It's just, dang, another one of them hatchet scenes. (laughs) He, like, spits in the corner. Or it was, like, suicide. They're like, possible. Could be suicide. Yeah, it would be really, really hard (laughs) to do that to yourself. Yeah, Um, hit yourself in the head 17 times with a hatchet. Yeah, that's never worked out for me, personally. (laughs) So Lizzie Borden's initial answers to the police officer's questions were uh, 
at times strange and contradictory, as you might imagine. (laughs) Initially, she reported hearing a groan or like a scraping noise or a distress call before she entered the house. But two hours later, she told police she had heard nothing and entered the house not realizing that anything was wrong. And when asked where her stepmother was, she recounted Abby receiving the note to go see the sick friend, right? And she also stated that she thought Abby had returned and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. Uh, Maggie Sullivan and a neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, were halfway up the stairs, so their eyes were, like, level with that floor. Yeah. When they looked into the guest room and saw Abby lying face down. And most of the officers who interviewed Lizzie reported that they disliked her attitude. Like, they basically said she was too calm and poised. And, like... Despite her attitude and her changing alibis, nobody, they like, the police didn't bother to check her for bloodstains. Nice. Yeah, so they didn't like anything about her story or her attitude and had bad feeling, and then they didn't bother to check. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Good job, guys. Oh. Promotions for all. So they did search her room, but it was more of, like, a routine inspection. It doesn't sound like they were actually trying all that hard. And at the trial, they admitted to not doing a proper search because Lizzie was not feeling well. Okay, that seems fair. A lady is faint. Yeah, we, we, we suspect her of murder, but she's not feeling good. Yeah, not so in these conditions. She needs to lie down. <laughs> and then we'll come back. Fetch the smelling salts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, so they were later criticized for their lack of diligence, as they should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the basement, police had found two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. And the hatchet head was suspected, like, of being the murder weapon because the break in the handle appeared to be new and the ash and the dust on the head, unlike that on the other bladed tools, appeared to have been, like, deliberately applied to make it look as if, it, it like, the hatchet had been in the basement for, like, a long time, right? Mm-hmm. However, none of these tools were removed from the house. Thanks, police. <laughs> because of the mysterious illness that had also stricken the household before the murders, um, Andrew's and Abby's stomachs, which were removed during autopsies, apparently performed in the Borden dining room of all places ah, to do it. Place. Yeah, <laughs> this looks like a good autopsy table. Um, they were tested for poison, but none was found. Right. Okay. So no one poisoned them. I'm pretty sure it was the the hatchet blows to the face, guys. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think it was the it poison. It could be attributed to much else. No. So um, the sisters, Lizzie and Emma's friend, Alice Russell, decided to stay with them the night following the murders, while John Morse, who was the man who'd visited Andrew about business matters previously, spent the night in the attic uh, guest room, which was also contrary to later accounts that he'd actually slept in the murder site guest room. Oh, Okay. Police were stationed around the house on the night of August 4th, um, during which an officer claimed to have seen Borden, uh, Lizzie, enter the cellar with her friend Alice, carrying a kerosene lamp and a slop pail. The officer stated that he saw both women exit the cellar, after which Borden returned alone, though he was unable to see exactly what she was doing. He said it looked like she was bent over the sink. And on August 5th, John Morse left the house and was, like, swarmed by hundreds of people, right? Um, police had to escort him back to the house. Yeah. So on August 6th, uh, police finally, finally, finally <laughs> conducted a more thorough search, um, of the house, inspecting the sister's clothing and confiscating the broken-handled hatchet head at last. Good. And eventually, like, at that evening, um, a police officer and the mayor visited the Bordens, and Lizzie was officially informed that she was a suspect. There we go. Finally. Finally. Yeah, so the next morning, Alice Russell entered the kitchen to find Borden tearing up a dress, um, and Lizzie explained that she was planning to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. That's what you do. 
Uh-huh. It was never determined whether it was the dress she had been wearing the day of the murders, though, but I'm assuming it was. Um, Borden appeared at the inquest hearing on August 8th. Uh, her request to have her family attorney present was refused under a state statute, providing that an inquest might be held in private. So she had also, this is interesting, been <laughs> prescribed regular doses of morphine to calm her nerves. Nice. I want that. Ah, the 1800s. <laughs> Good times. They were they were a different breed, they... Um, and it is, in my opinion, very possible that her testimony was affected by this. Um, her behavior... No <laughs> yeah, well, it was also probably affected by her having done it, but, like... Yeah. Um, the morphine probably didn't help. Her behavior was erratic, and she often, like, refused to answer a question, even if the answer would be, like, beneficial to her. She frequently contradicted herself and provided alternating accounts of the morning in question, such as claiming to have been in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home, and then claiming to have been in the dining room doing some ironing, and then claiming to have been coming down the stairs. <sighs> so she was busy that day. Yeah. Doing all those things at once. Yeah. And yeah, she was just all over the place. It's <laughs> worth noting here that like most, like many, many scholars believe there's absolutely no question that she did this. Okay. Yeah. Like that's I've heard not like really disputed. varying stuff too, but. There's a lot of uh, varying theories from different authors mm -hmm. that are interesting to think about. Um, and there's a lot of theories as to why she did it. But most like, I was reading from the Smithsonian mm -hmm. and most people who study this are like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, she definitely, but it just depends, good right? To know. Yeah, it's hard to tell with the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> um, the district attorney was, like, very aggressive and confrontational with Lizzie. On August 11th, she was served with a warrant of arrest and jailed, so she was in jail for a little. Newspaper articles at the time noted that Borden possessed a, quote, stolid demeanor and, quote, bit her lips, flushed, and bent toward Attorney Adams. What? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Is this a lawyer she had a crush on, or...? I mean, he was being a dick to her, so maybe this was, like, oh. angry flush. Oh, or maybe okay. it was, dang, it's hot when I'm yelled at for murder flush. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I can't tell you. But, like, yeah. So it was also reported in those papers that the testimony provided in the inquest had, quote, caused a change of opinion among her friends who have heretofore strongly maintained her innocence. So they weren't necessarily heretofore strongly maintaining innocence at this point. Okay. The inquest received significant press attention nationwide, and then a grand jury began hearing evidence on November 7th, and Borden was indicted on December the 2nd. Okay. So Borden's actual trial took place in New Bedford, uh, starting on June 5th, 1893. Five days before the trial's commencement, another axe murder occurred in Fall River, and this time the victim was a woman named Bertha Manchester, who was found hacked to death in her kitchen. What? Yeah, the similarities between the Manchester and Borden's murders were striking, so they were noted by jurors, right? Yeah. However, another person, Jose Correa de, Medel uh, de Mello, he was later convicted of Manchester's murder in 1894, and was determined to not have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. So they don't think okay. it could have been someone else, yeah. So that being said... The whole thing that might have stuck in jurors' minds, mm -hmm. so, and caused, like, a little bit of doubt, even when they knew it wasn't the case, so who knows, It right? would have caused doubt for sure, especially yeah. since he wasn't convicted until 1894, like, after the trial. So yeah, exactly, so they definitely had that. At that point, they probably that. didn't know who it was. Yeah, they and might thought have... some crazy axe murderer was running around. Yeah, and it would have been easier to believe than, because there's a whole feminist thing around this where, you know... Yeah. Yeah, a lot of this was considered interesting. Like, there were feminist groups who thought that this was a victory because they didn't 
I guess that they thought like she had been a victim and all this or something that was like a strong woman getting revenge and getting away with oh. it or something. That was one theory. And then a lot of other people were like, a woman couldn't possibly have done such a yeah. thing. Believe me, we are all just angry enough to do it. <laughs> to use a hatchet on someone 17 times. That's good to know. I'll, I'll note that, Andrea. It's all, it's just below the surface for every woman out there. If I look deep into your eyes, I can see the hatchet glittering within. Mm-hmm. Good to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. So a prominent point of discussion during the trial, or at least like the press coverage of it, was the hatchet head found in the basement, uh, which was not convincingly demonstrated by the prosecution to actually be the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. So prosecutors like argued that the killer had removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood as though the blade wouldn't have been, I guess. Yeah. But one officer testified that a hatchet handle was found near the hatchet head And another officer contradicted this. Oh my god. Yeah, so they were also bad at everything. Um, (laughs) Though no bloody clothing was found at the scene, Alice Russell made her whole testimony regarding Lizzie burning the dress, right? Stating that on August 8th, 1892, she had witnessed Lizzie burn the dress in the kitchen stove, claiming that it had been ruined when she brushed against wet paint. Which probably happened to be red, but I don't know. (laughs) So during the course of the trial, defense never attempted to challenge this claim. Okay. Yeah, so they think that was actually, it must have happened, and yet I guess that's not enough. And it makes sense, but they had all this other evidence they could have been looking at closer. Yeah. So Lizzie Borden's presence at the family home was also a point of dispute during the trial. According to some testimony, like, from the maid, Maggie Sullivan, uh, she, like, entered the second floor of the home at around, like, 10.58 a.m. and left Lizzie and her father downstairs. So Lizzie told several people that at this time... She went into the barn and was not in the house for, quote, 20 minutes or possibly a half an hour. Okay. Hyman Lubinsky, who, like, testified for the defense, that he's... That's not a good name. Oh, Hyman Lubinsky, I just realized. (laughs) Those are words that came out of my mouth. I typed these. Yeah, what? Oh, man, that is a terrible (sighs) name. Okay. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. Um. So this is the guy who testified for the defense, and he said that he saw Lizzie Borden leave the barn at 11.03 a.m., and Charles Gardner, another guy, like, testifying, like, confirmed the time. Yeah. And at 11.10 a.m., Lizzie called Maggie downstairs, told her Andrew had been murdered, and ordered her not to enter the room. Instead, Borden sent her to get a doctor. Hmm. So this whole thing is just all, like, Seems crazy, right? like it's too late for a doctor. It yeah, and apparently, like, earlier she'd said that she, like, said that her father was dead. Yeah. Get yeah. a doctor. He's dead. He's got a bad <laughs> case of the dead. <laughs> I hate this. Wake up, dad. Like, yeah, no. So both murder victims, Abby and Andrew's heads, had also been removed during their autopsies, and the skulls were admitted as evidence during the trial and presented on June 5th, 1893, and upon seeing them in the courtroom, Lizzie Borden fainted. Oh, okay. That's dramatic. I mean, hmm. Yeah. I wonder if she faked it or if it was just like, ew, skull. Faint. Yeah. Because I would be kind of grossed out. Yeah. To see my beheaded parents, even if I'd done something horrible to them. That's just weird, right? Yeah. Like, it might have it might have been a conscience thing, too. Yeah. Um. So it's hard to say. But evidence was excluded that Borden had sought to purchase prussic acid or mm-hmm. prusic acid. Yeah. Like, she had actually purchased this. Yeah. But it was discluded as evidence. Even though, yeah, oh. yeah, supposedly it was for cleaning a sealskin cloak, um, and she bought it from a local druggist on the day before the murders. So all that wasn't taken into consideration. Okay. Uh, it sure would be handy to have some prussic acid to dissolve these bodies yeah. that I didn't make, and also my sealskin. 
The judge ruled that the incident was, like, too remote in time to have any connection. Okay. Even though it was the day before. But the presiding associate justice, Justin Dewey, delivered, like, a lengthy summary that supported the defense as to his charge to the jury before it was sent to deliberate on June 20th, 1893. And after an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury acquitted Lizzie Borden of the murders. Upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters that she was, quote, the happiest woman in the world. Yes. Seems like it's awesome to be Lizzie Borden. She's winning in this. <laughs> oh I'm, my goodness. I am boiling to death. Me too. I'm sweaty. But like, there's some interesting things. <laughs> yeah, about that Lizzie. is interesting. I like it. Um, I've read like this one article about um, like other possible suspects in the murder too. Yeah. And uh, there was like some guy that was like courting Lizzie that might have done it. And there was like. Yeah. I don't know that there was like maybe like her father's. Her father had, like, some kids with someone outside of the marriage, and... Yeah. I don't know, like... And I thought Lizzie had a brother, too, so I think, like... They might have considered that, too. Something... Yeah, he was, like, mad about something his brother... Oh! There was a guy that they thought was the illegitimate child of um, her father that they thought was a brother who might have done it. That's what they thought. But that was proven... uh, The guy that they assumed was the illegitimate son, it was proven that there was no relation, so no, he did not have an illegitimate son. I thought she actually did have a brother... But like one that was like actually in the family that you people guys knew Google about. It. Yeah. Google it and email us at two scared siblings at gmail.com. Tell us all about the case we just did. But like <laughs> there was also like a lot of theorizing as to the reasons. And one of the theories was that her father had been raping her. Yeah, I right? heard that one too, right? And then Yeah, and incest wouldn't have really been talked about at the time, obviously. Yeah. So And her stepmother would have like like she killed her because she was helping cover it up and stuff, like yeah, that was one theory. Another was that Lizzie was actually in a lesbian relationship with uh, the maid, Maggie, because yeah. they would have been close to the same age, 25, 26, and 30 uh, on Lizzie's oh, okay. end, like 30-something on Lizzie's end. And um, I thought your thing said that, that she had been parents... a maid for 25 years. Um, I don't know when she became a maid, but she had been living, and she'd been there for a while, but she was young. She oh, was like okay. 25 or 26 at the time of the murder. Oh, okay. Um, and there's theories that her and Lizzie had been lesbians or that Lizzie had had a lesbian relationship with someone and that, like, the parents had reacted badly. Yeah. Really badly. And so she'd killed them for that reason. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But a lot of people believe it was just, like, this whole crazy case. And anyway, she was completely infamous after all this. Yeah. Yeah. So she got away with it. But then kids made up a a weird jump rope rhyme about her, which is what I started out with. I kind of, like, feel sympathetic towards her. Well... It's really kind of hard to say. happy she got off, but I, like, I don't know if that's because I deep down don't believe she did or if it's because I deep down believe that she did it for a good reason. Yeah, I am not sure either. And I was wondering about that. I feel like she definitely did it, but I also, she was so into all this, like, helping others thing. And mm-hmm. the people who knew her, who she taught Sunday school to and with, said that they could not see this. And, like, that's true of a lot of killers, sure. But she wasn't like, as far as we know, like a serial killer, which yeah. is usually the she ones who are good at hiding. People. Yeah, specific people close to her. Yeah, and it seems like you know, with the, a lot of anger. Yeah, with a lot of anger. Like I'm not sure how like Abby and Andrew were to her. If they like, no one deserves a hatchet to the face. I will say this, but I'm not sure what the reasons were, and mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't positive. So that's why there's all these like different theories, and yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So Andrea now has. 
more for you. I have one story. This is the story of Eva Dugan. So, Eva. Yeah. Tell me all about Eva. She was born in Salisbury, Missouri in 1878, and she lived in Juneau, Alaska, and became a cabaret singer. Hmm. And then she moved to Pima County in Arizona and worked for an elderly chicken rancher named Andrew Mathis as his housekeeper. Less glamorous. Yeah. Huh, that's an interesting life, though, already. interesting, yeah. Career path. I was a cabaret singer in Alaska, and now I'm in Arizona working for a chicken rancher. (laughs) So she was fired for unknown reasons, and then Mathis disappeared with some of his things, including a Dodge Coupe and his cash box. Right. And then neighbors later, later said that Eva tried to sell some of those possessions of his before she disappeared. Oh, And police discovered that she had a father in California and a daughter in White Plains, New York, and she had been married five times and all of her husbands had disappeared. That's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. Uh, Uh, She ended up selling the Dodge Coupe in Kansas City, Missouri, and then she was arrested in White Plains when a postal clerk, who was alerted by the police to, like, watch for stuff, intercepted a postcard to her from her father. Right. So... She was extradited to Arizona to face auto theft charges. Uh, and she was in jail for nine months when a camper found Mathis's decomposed remains on his ranch. And ooh. she ended up being tried for murder in a short trial based mostly on circumstantial evidence. Okay, so the one I did had all this non-circumstantial evidence I know. that could have worked. And yours uh, was tried Only on circumstantial. circumstantial. Oh, yeah. good. Good job, guys. <laughs> I know. The police are just so good at things. I mean, this was the 1800s, but they're still bad things. They are still, yeah. Uh, So during her testimony, Eva said that Mathis had basically accused her of poisoning his breakfast food. Hmm. But she said that he was sick because he'd eaten rotten meat from a rabbit that had boils on it, which sounds revolting. I would not eat that. Nope. I feel like he probably wouldn't either. You never know, right? I mean, you never know, but I'm not sure, Eva. This Some sounds a little, a little dubious. Weird. Yeah, again, the 1800s, they might. Yeah. They didn't know that much about No, health. they didn't. Yeah. Um, so she also admitted that she had sex with Mathis on a weekly basis. Weird. And she performed prostitution at the ranch. And Mathis would invite men off the street if she, if he, like, you know, thought they were cool. <laughs> yeah, if he thought that he could, yeah, that they'd yeah, be interested. Like, yeah. hey, want to come over and we'll hang out and you can have sex with this lady. Um. <laughs> And she would, perform, <laughs> she would perform sex acts for $3, and she'd give Mathis 50 cents each time. Okay. And then this guy named – this teen named Jack, he had come to the ranch for work. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said that he had accidentally killed Mathis with a retaliatory punch after Mathis beat him up for refusing to milk a cow. That is an offense. And then she said that Jack came to the house to tell her what he had done, and they both tried to revive Mathis with mouth-to-mouth. Uh, And CPR after removing his false teeth, of course. That's detailed. And then when that didn't work, they loaded him into a coop and Jack drove it out alone to dump the body. And he came back back around 5 a.m. Right. So this is what she said. They don't even know if Jack existed. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, was Jack here to testify? Yeah. So the jury ended up being convinced that she murdered Mathis with an axe even though – What? Like, um, even though it was like all circumstantial evidence and she had all these – stories huh so the jury was convinced so she did get convicted what okay yeah so after her conviction in a final statement she said well i'll die with my boots on and in full health and that's more than most of you old coots will be able to boast on i don't know that is beautiful thank you she was a poet and you gave her full justice i thank you 
<laughs> You're about to say that I wasn't giving you enough credit. Yeah. For for that statement. Hey, I did an accent. Um I wonder. I don't know where she got this accent. Well, this was like the United States back in the day and it probably true. did people probably did talk like that, honestly. I it's mean, she was born in Missouri. People. Yeah. Hey, Missouri uh, people. And lived in Alaska. And then, and then Arizona. Arizona. I'm not sure where this came, but whatever. Yeah. So huh. she remained defiant until the end. Hmm. And she gave interviews to the press for $1 each, and she sold embroidered handkerchiefs that she knitted while she was in prison to pay for her own coffin. What? And made her, she made a hanging, she made herself a hanging oh. made of silk. And, it, like, it was a silk beaded jazz dress. So wow. I guess this is what you get, like, by a hanging, it's, like, the outfit that you wear yeah. for your hanging. Yeah, if you um, have your own or if they force you to just wear whatever. Yeah, but later she just decided to wear a cheap dress because she was worried about messing up the silk dress. <laughs> what? Eva? Um, yeah. And she it's remained, not going to matter. No. She remained upbeat and Time Magazine called her Cheerful Eva in a March 3rd. 1930 story about execution that's too many digits andrea printed it as 11,930 <laughs> because that was the year that this went down <laughs> and that's okay it's very distantly in the future yeah she was also a time traveler <laughs> yeah. we forgot to mention that part oh geez uh so the day before her hanging rumors were that she planned to kill herself before being hanged so her cell was searched and a bottle of raw ammonia and three razor blades that were hidden in a dress were confiscated wow she was really good at getting things yeah that's terrifying she's good at stuff so ammonia and razor blades doesn't sound like a good way to go so her appeal for clemency on the grounds of mental illness was denied, and she was taken to the gallows at 5 a.m. on February 21st, 1930. Oof. And she was the first woman to be ex- executed by the state of Arizona. Yikes. And it was the first execution in Arizona history in which women were permitted to be there as witnesses. Oh, weird. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Um, according to a newspaper, she was composed as she mounted the gallows, and she told the guards, quote, don't hold my arm so tight. The people will think I'm afraid. Huh. She swayed slightly when the noose was put around her neck. And, and then when she was asked if she had any final words, she shook her head no. And the trap sprang, or trap was sprung at 5.11 a.m. And at the end of the drop, the snap of the rope decapitated her. What? Sending her head rolling to the feet of the spectators. What? Uh, and this caused five witnesses, which were two women and three men, to faint. And <laughs> so she was one of the last people to be hanged in Arizona. Um, there were only two more after her, and the gallows were replaced by the gas chamber in 1934 and then lethal injection in 1993. And she's still the only women, woman to ever have been executed by Arizona ever. Weird. Yeah. So she was the first and last. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's really fucking weird. And also... How did it decapitate her? I don't know. When I read that, I was like, that's strange. But like... Was the silk hanging... Maybe she made her own robe out of silk? And it was that like material <laughs> no, I think, that did um, it? No, because she didn't make... She didn't make it. It was just like I'm sure they gallows. just used a normal rope, but maybe it was like kind of thin rope. Yeah. Could be wire rope. I don't know what they used back then. But obviously they miscalculated like how far she was going to drop. Ooh. And so that instead of breaking her neck, it like decapitated her like it snapped really hard because it they, they do. calculate it based on your weight right the distance yeah. that you'll have to fall to make sure that you die when you hang yeah but there have been so many mistakes Issues. made yeah yeah it's not a very good method of anything no 
And no one should ever do that. Never. No. No. <laughs> Arizona. Arizona. <laughs> I won't Sheesh. forgive you for any of your crimes, including being hotter than the fucking sun. Although it's really hot in my room right now. It's like Arizona temperature in here. It is. But yeah, so. But more humid. You should email us. Yes, at two scared siblings at gmail.com. Tell us all about the axe murders and also do some research for us, please. Oh, and your hatchet murders. That's uh, important. The ones that you committed yourself. We need those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're cool. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's a secret. <laughs> now, tell us about anything interesting that, yeah, that's weird, creepy, whatever hauntings, whatever oh. weird shit happens in your family. Anything and you want. You have to listen to this. Oh, yes. We have a podcast. Yes. So uh, you have to listen to it. I just listened to a little bit today. It's great. Here's a clip. Hey, guys. My name is Tara. And my name is Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me for you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on. So that's three spooked girls, and they're awesome. They have creepy stories. We think they stole our name. Yes, (laughs) that's another thing. But anyway. <laughs> How many terrifying Three spooked girls and two alarmed. scared siblings. Yeah, like... Weird, right? No, we own all synonyms for the word fear and <laughs> also numbers. So email us, and we're on Twitter at Two Scared Sibs, and at Andrea Noel 3 for my personal one. At Toy Carousels for mine, and we have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Two Scared Siblings. Yes, and yeah. donate. Donate. Yeah, one even dollar a dollar. Yeah. Just one dollar is fine. We might even... We could even probably open it up the free episode. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, we might even like, uh, like right now you get a verbal shout out and your name in the credits uh, for $1. And then for $5 you get bonus episodes. Yeah. But we got to like you get start all that coming up with some episodes. new stuff too. Well, we're thinking of like doing merch. So you might get like a one-time free yeah. merch thing. Merch would be good. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. Do that. Everything helps. And we love you. So now we get to kiss y'all. Goodbye. Mwah. Sleep well.